If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Parsha HaShavua, the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Parsha, only on 101.9 High FM. And a wonderful Eric Shabbos to all of you. Great to be with you once again to talk about the Parsha, to look at life, to understand what in fact the Parsha is going to tell us about life. And as we always say, Torah is not only a guide to life, Torah is the source of life. And because Torah is the source of life, it has the mechanism, it has the truth, it has the message that enables us to understand life and enables us to live life as perfectly as we can. We, after all, are creatures brought into this world by God himself. And this is why each and every one of us has a mission, a purpose, in order for for us to understand not only our general purpose, but our specific, our unique purpose in this world. We have to turn to Torah on a regular basis to try and understand what is the message of Torah, how is Torah talking to me, not only generally as a Jew, but individually to me. What is Torah telling me at this particular time, and how am I to respond? This is what the Parsha of the week is all about. The Parsha is Bahalotcha. Aaron is commanded by God to kindle the menorah, the candelabra, in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle. And as I mentioned last week, the Parshiot that we go through now are important because they come after the festival of Shavuot, Shavuot being the time that we receive the Torah, the great moment of revelation where God himself descended upon the mountain and gave the Jewish people the Torah. And we think to ourselves, following that, what happens then, and as we explained last week, that each and every single moment following Matan Torah, there has to be an elevation, a higher purpose. And the question, of course, what is the higher purpose that could possibly be higher than receiving the Torah? And yet each and every single day, particularly each and every single parsha, comes along and indicates to us a different and higher step, how we can achieve something greater, something far more profound. Bahalotcha, God says to Moshe, speak to Aaron, talk to him, tell him to light the candles and to light it in a particular sort of way. This is the way he has to kindle the menorah. And Torah from time to time uses terminology that has different interpretations. It doesn't say lahadlik etanaras, which is a simple translation to kindle the lamps. It says vahalotcha, to raise, to elevate the lamps. And the question, of course, is asked, why does Torah use a term that has a different type of translation given the context? Within the context of this parsha, of course, it means that kindle the menorah, the lamps on the menorah. But Bahalotcha, in its literal translation, does not mean to kindle. It means to, well, to raise, to uplift, to bring to a higher level. Why would Torah use a term that has different types of interpretations. And obviously, Torah is sending us a message. Torah is telling us something which is unique and important for us to understand what, in fact, the whole process of kindling the menorah was all about. It wasn't simply lighting a menorah, a candelabra. It wasn't simply kindling the lamps, bringing light. There was a process of bahalotcha, and we have to understand what that was all about. Because once we begin to understand the function of the menorah, why was it necessary on a daily basis 
to kindle the lamps, we begin to understand what, in fact, the word Bahalotcha comes to tell us. Rashi indicates to us something a little bit, well, a little bit puzzling, a little bit strange, somewhat sad. It says that Aaron was disappointed on that day because he saw in the previous parsha that we learned all the heads of the tribes, the princes, they all brought a gift at the inauguration of the temple. Whereas he, the head of the tribe of the Levites, he was a Kohen, but he was the head of the tribe of the Levites, he wasn't invited to bring a particular gift at the inauguration of the temple of the Mishkan. And this saddened him. And he felt that somehow he was left out, that he didn't have the merits of participating in that all-important event, the inauguration of the Mishkan, and he was somehow disappointed. So God said to him, he said to him, upon your life you shall know what you do and what you will be doing by kindling the menorah is far more important and far greater than the gifts that the individual heads of the tribes brought. And this uplifted the spirit of Aaron. He realized that he too was part of this great process and his sadness or his disappointment was, well, not what in fact he felt it was. The question, however, is why did he feel, why did he feel disappointed? True, he may have felt that he wasn't part of the inauguration but Aaron was a man of great spiritual piety and refinement. And he knew as the high priest, his service was at an exceptionally high spiritual level. Why should he feel that there was anything missing in his particular service? He was going to not only kindle the menorah. On Yom Kippur, he was going to enter the Holy of Holies. No one. No one in the entire people of Israel could possibly come to that level. Why would he feel any type of disappointment and sadness at being left out at the inauguration of the Mishkan of the Tabernacle? Aaron knew his position. Aaron understood his status. Why would he feel left out? That's one story. Later in the Parsha, we come across another story, a similar story. And that is when God told the people on the day of Pesach that it's time to bring the Korban Pesach, the Passover sacrifice, the Passover offering. And a group of people who were in a state of tumah, of impurity, came to Moshe and they said, why should we be left out? We are not in a state of purity that we can bring the Korban Pesach and we feel that we will be left out and we cannot observe this all-important mitzvah of Korban Pesach. And Moshe felt that their demand was a just demand. And he turns to God with their request. And God said, you know what? They are right. One month later, in the month of year, as we know, another holiday will be given specially to those people which is called Pesach Sheni, and they will have the opportunity then to bring the Korban Pesach. Our commentaries ask a wonderful question. Who were these people? And there are two opinions. 
Some say it was those who were carrying the casket that contained the bones of Joseph. And because they were in contact with that which is considered a dead person, they were tummy. Others say because they were involved in taking out the bodies of the two elder sons of Aaron who had died in the Mishkan. Whatever opinion we follow, both of these groups were individuals who were involved in doing a mitzvah. And we have a rule that if a person is involved in a mitzvah, he is no longer obligated to do another mitzvah because being involved in one mitzvah is such that he doesn't have to fulfill the other mitzvah. Why then would they feel that something was lacking? They were doing a great mitzvah, carrying the casket, carrying the iron that contained the bones of Joseph, doing the last rites for the elder sons of Aaron. Great mitzvahs both. Why should they feel that they were being left out? They couldn't bring the Korban Pesach because they were dummy. They were impure because they were fulfilling great mitzvahs. These two stories indicate to us that there was something unique about what's taking place in this parsha. Bahalotcha, kindling the menorah in a particular sort of way, telling us the story with Aaron and later on with the people who are impure, gives us insight into the entire parsha, and we begin to understand why, in fact, Torah uses this particular term. More of that soon. This is the Pasha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. So we're talking about those two stories, one with Aaron and the other with those who were ritually impure. And we're trying to understand why they felt that they were being left out from an important mitzvah when they were involved in other important activities. There's a third story in this week's Parsha. Not a very happy story. It's a story where there were a group of people called the Asafsu, the multitude. And they began to hisavu taiva. Translated simply, they began to lust after lust. It wasn't anything specific that they wanted. They just, well, they developed a lust for lust. And they began to cry. And they influenced the Jewish nation. To the point they said, who will feed us bosa, flesh? We remember the fish and the cucumbers and the melons and the garlic. And, well, the leeks and the onions that we ate in Egypt for free. Our lives are dry because all that we have to eat is the manna that falls from heaven. What a terrible story. All that we have to eat is the manna that falls from heaven. The miraculous food that sustained the Jewish people in the desert. It was a miraculous food that had whatever taste, whatever texture you wanted. And what do they mean? The fish, the melons, the onion, the leeks, the garlic that they had for free in the land of Egypt. In the land of Egypt, they were slaves. They were beaten. They were enslaved in the worst possible way. They were given nothing for free. How could they possibly, how could they possibly cry and say what they did? And this created a tremendous, a tremendous 
depression among the Jewish people. What's going on over here? What kind of story is this? It's bizarre. An outright lie. First of all, they got nothing for free as slaves. And second of all, to say our lives are empty and dry because all we have is the manna. The manna was a miraculously delicious food, tasting of whatever delicacy that you want. And what did they want? They wanted lusting after lust, which expressed itself at that moment in a desire for meat for flesh. But what was it really all about? When we take a look at a deeper insight into these stories, we begin to understand what is it that was frustrating the Jewish people at the time. The manna has made our lives dry and empty. What was the manna really all about? A gift from heaven. Did the Jewish people work for it? Did they have to plow the land? Did they have to harvest the land? Did they have to seed the land? No. Every single morning except for Shabbos, an exact amount of food fell from heaven and was given to the people. They went out to collect it. It was there. And it tasted with whatever taste they wanted. They didn't work for it. It was given to them free and gratis. This is something which ultimately begins to frustrate an individual. Something that you don't work for, something that you really haven't earned, is something that you begin to despise after a while. And not only do you despise it, but you begin become angry at the one who gives it to you. And if this is true in the material, physical sense of the word, how much more so in the spiritual sense of the word? When a person is within the context of a spiritual situation that he hasn't worked for, it's given to him. Study of Torah, for instance. Not that he worked for it. He listens to a sermon, goes to a shir once in a while, not that he's achieved anything on his own. It's not that he's grown as a result of his own efforts. Things that are given to him, things that are handed to him. You become frustrated as a result of the fact that you haven't earned anything. And this frustration leads to resentment. And the resentment ultimately leads to rebellion. You become angry at that which you are doing, at that which you are receiving, and particularly at the one who's giving you those things as a gift. This was the great tragedy of the Jews in the wilderness. Because they were given everything, because everything was there as a gift from God without any effort on their part, without any work on their part, there was frustration resentment, and rebellion. This third story, this third story can be understood after we understand the first two stories. What is the story of Aaron? Aaron was a great man, a pious man, a man who achieved the level of spirituality unlike any other. And yet he felt that there was something missing in his life. He was not participating in the inauguration, as were the other heads of tribes. 
No matter how much Aaron achieved in life, he always wanted to achieve a bit more spiritually. He never rested on his laurels. No matter how great he was, he wanted to achieve more and more and more. Because this was the yearning of his soul. This was the yearning of his heart and his mind to achieve more and more because the potential is forever there to achieve more and more. Similarly, the people who are ritually impure, yes, of course, of course, by law, legally, they were not obligated to fulfill the mitzvah of the Korban Pesach. But they felt something was missing in their lives. Yes, they were involved in another mitzvah. And because of that, they didn't have the halachic obligation of doing this mitzvah. But they felt something was missing. And they came to Moses and they said, why should we miss out on something so important? And God said, they have a just demand. And I will give them the opportunity to fulfill that they, like Aaron, as a result of their tremendous desire to achieve something more and more in their lives want to reach higher levels on their own. Unfortunately, this type of feeling, this type of tremendous spiritual growth and desire wasn't felt by all. So many of the people simply sat back and took advantage of that which was given to them without any effort on their part. And if something was missing, so be it. I wasn't there. I couldn't do it. It's beyond me. It's not part of me. And this is why it ultimately led to resentment and rebellion. And this is something that we have to understand in the fuller sense of the word. A human being has infinite potential. And that infinite potential has to be satisfied. You cannot sit back and rest on your laurels. And if you do, a deep sense of frustration sets in and anger sets in. In terms of Yiddishkeit, if there is no growth, ultimately, there is an anger at the Yiddishkeit because you feel that you're simply going through the motions and there's no life, there's no excitement. You begin to yearn for false images, so to speak, of the free fish and leeks and melons and garlic and onions that you received in Egypt. In Egypt, you were whipped, you were a slave. But somehow, that becomes more precious than what you have now. And this is so true about life. People often, often yearn for something that was crippling and destructive rather than the gifts that they have because the gifts that they have are not earned and they yearn for something else. It brings chaos into their lives. It brings, well, anger and rage and rebellion. And this is what we see in young people and older people, people who feel a tremendous sense of dissatisfaction with their spiritual growth. And this is why when we come to the beginning of the Parsha, the name of the Parsha, it's Bahalotcha. Not only to kindle the lamps, but to lift up the lamps, to raise the lamps. What do the commentaries say? How was Aaron to kindle the lamps? 
He had to hold the fire there until each individual lamp began to burn by itself, began to show tremendous, tremendous growth on its own. Bahalotcha. It's not enough simply to light, to kindle another wick, another lamp. But that lamp has to grow on its own. It has to become a lamp that has the strength and the power to bring light and warmth and purpose to others. It has to be something that awakens the inner dimensions of one's soul. It is something that has to awaken this tremendous need of growth and development, of not being satisfied. It's not enough that Aaron lights that fire. You have to take that fire and make it grow on its own as a result of your own efforts, as a result of that which you do. Otherwise, you begin to lust after lust. You begin to walk around with life thinking about things which are unnatural and destructive because that which you have, you haven't earned. You were given. It's like a child who remains a child throughout life, absolutely dependent, without ever growing up, looking to one's parents, looking to one's benefactors to receive all that one wants. Maturity and growth demands a degree of independence, like the light that has to burn not only as a result of the fact that it was kindled by another, but it grows as a result of its own efforts as well. More of that soon. This is the Pasha HaShavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about the idea that self-growth as a result of a degree of independence and not, not to be dependent upon others is absolutely necessary in order to achieve a degree of satisfaction in life. The question is, how do we achieve this? How do we actually excite within ourselves this desire to arouse this incredible potential that we have? Yes, tragically, laziness. <laughs> laziness is a fact of life. So many people just want to sit back and let things be taken care of. So many people don't want to do the hard lifting. So many people don't want to do hard work. Let others do it. Let others do it for them. Wake up in the morning and they feel that they don't want to get in. They actually despise the fact that they have to get up and toil through the day. Toil through life. So many people don't want to work. And this is where Aaron comes in. Aaron the high priest, not only was he a man of great piety, not only was he an individual who achieved incredible levels of spirituality in the service of God, and that is why he was chosen to be the one, the high priest that served in the mission. But he was a man of tremendous, tremendous love. He looked upon everyone with an incredible degree of concern and love. No matter who, non-judgmental, he would reach out to everyone and offer to kindle 
the menorah that each and every single individual possesses within. Our Hasidic masters talk to us about how the soul, the soul is the menorah within our lives. And just as the menorah possessed seven arms, so does our soul possess seven emotional qualities. There's chesed, kindness, devura, severity, deferred beauty, etc., etc., etc. And when we begin to identify each and every one of those incredibly majestic dimensions, and we kindle them, we give them vibrancy, we give them voice, we give them expression, we give them fire, life, and light, our lives begin to change. But we have to do that with a degree of love. We can't push it on others. We can't even push it on ourselves. Yes, it does take effort. But effort doesn't necessarily mean something which is harsh. Effort can be an act of great kindness, of great love. This is what Aaron does. Aaron kindles the seven arms of the menorah that is within each and every one of us. This is the Aaron that we look for. Interestingly enough, each and every one of us possesses a dimension of Aaron within ourselves so that we can kindle and uplift and raise those dimensions of our soul. And as we do it to ourselves, we have to do it to others as well and allow others to do it to us. This is the act of kindling the menorah, not only lahadlik to bring light, but bahalotcha, to elevate, to change, to bring about a dramatic, a dramatic elevation and refinement within ourselves and others. When we begin to understand the beauty and complexity of our souls and what we possess, we rush forward with a tremendous sense of desire and passion to allow that spirituality and divinity within ourselves to be expressed. It's no longer sitting back and taking advantage of what others give us. There's a new drive, a new found sense of achieving something of, on our own as a result of our own efforts. This is what Torah demands from us. If we don't want to be frustrated, if we don't want to be angry, if we don't want to look at our Yiddishkeit as something which is drab, as something which is unexciting, as something which has no meaning and purpose in our lives, we have to awaken the menorah in our souls. We have to awaken those seven dimensions in our lives. We have to allow the Aaron in our lives to kindle, uplift, and raise the menorah the lamps in our soul. And it's possible. This is what this week's parsha tells us. You look around the world and you see so much depression, so much sadness. People simply going through, well, the movement of life without living. Going through life by rote. Years and years and years. Waking up and doing the same sad things without having any sense of purpose. Yes, once in a while they might enjoy themselves, but otherwise life becomes this monotonous, sad, 
depressing experience. Tarpa says, no, light the fire, awaken that soul. You have a menorah, you have seven, seven lamps, each one will awaken a tremendous dimension of life in your life. And this is something that can be done. How do we do it? We take a lesson from Aaron and those individuals who are ritually impure. Never give up. Always want more and more. Don't sit back. Don't be idle. Passion, growth, desire. Work for it. Put tremendous energy into your efforts. Put a tremendous spring in your step and you will see change. This is what this parsha is all about. This is Bahalotcha, elevating. And you won't fall into a state where you begin to lust after lust and create destruction in your life, God forbid. But it becomes a life of beauty and growth, as Torah promises. So when you're in shul tomorrow, or even before you go to shul, pick up a Chomish, read the parsha, listen to what Aaron does. Listen to the request of those who are spiritually impure. Listen to the great march of the Jewish people that we didn't talk about, but the great march of the Jewish people. Listen to the story of the Asafsuf, those, well, individuals who, well, they gave up. And they thought only about Egypt and that which they had there, which was nothing. But they imagined that it was great. Understand that within the context of your own life. Begin to understand that you have a menorah. Put light to that menorah. Do something as a result of your own efforts. See greatness. Achieve potential. Good job, sir.